And just pray for yourself. Just pray. Pray that God will speak to you. If we open our hearts to seek Him, God say, He will be found. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you that you are here and I believe that God, that is the word. It's the word that God, you want to speak to us. You want to encourage us. You want to motivate us. And I want to just pray for your servant here, Elder Edwin, that God, you will fill him with your spirit, Father. He will speak forth your word with conviction, with power, with authority. And I pray that God, you'll keep us alert, Father, physically, emotionally, spiritually, so that God, we can hear from you. We thank you, Father. We thank you. May you... Uh, May you come, come and speak to us and help us to respond with faith and obedience and receive your word by faith, Lord. In Jesus' most precious name, amen. Thank you all for those who prayed for me. Indeed, I was very ill for a large part of the week, from Tuesday to Friday. So ill uh, that I was very tempted to get um, Chi Ming to do next week's sermon this week. Uh, but the Lord had compassion on him and didn't allow that to happen. I uh, got very much better, uh, surprisingly. It surprised me that on Saturday I was quite well and I could go back to the office to uh, uh, to birth this sermon. Uh, uh, this sermon is going to be uh, simpler, right? Because I, I didn't have very much time to, to do this. But I trust that God will have something for us, whether it is short or long. Uh, I want to... My message is taken from Luke chapter 7, 11 to, 7, to 17. Not, not 15, sorry, to 11 to 17. Soon afterwards, Jesus went to a town called Nyan, and his disciples and a large crowd went along with him, and he approached the town gate. A dead man was being carried out, the only son of his mother, and she was a widow. And a large crowd from the town was with her, when the Lord saw her, his heart went out to her and he said, Don't cry. When they went out and touched Bear, and they were carrying him on and the bearer stood still, he said, Young man, I say to you, get up. And the dead man sat up and began to talk and Jesus gave him back to his mother. Um, I want to um, bring your attention to these words uh, that are in the passage. As he approached the town gate, verse 12, a dead man was being carried out, the only son of his mother. 
and she was a widow. Uh, Luke it was the gospel writer, and he included these eleven words, and these additional facts are very significant, because Luke is inviting us to step into her world. Now, this is not a woman who was just depressed. It was a woman that was des- who was very desperate. Uh, let me just give you a little bit uh, of uh, what it was like uh, for a widow uh, you know, in Jesus' days. In those days, to lose a husband and uh, a son uh, meant, number one, an uncertain future of poverty. And that, that was uh, bad enough, right? You were taught. But besides grief, there was also uh, guilt. She was probably carrying some guilt too because uh, the premature death of uh, children was believed to be a punishment of sin. So you would expect that uh, the town gossips, or some people would be uh, speculating, talking behind her back. What could she have done to deserve uh, this kind of a loss? And uh, Jewish funerals uh, usually happen about 6 o'clock you know, after a day's work, uh, after the men return from work. And the entire town, I, I think it was probably not a very big town, a few hundred people would uh, have gathered in her home and then uh, she would have spent the whole day with this, this uh, son, the, the corpse, cleaning the corpse, uh, uh, just dressing up the corpse, probably uh, shrouding it. And they were set up from her home to the cemetery. And uh, the woman will lead the procession, the funeral procession, because it was, the Jews believe that it was a woman's sin that brought death uh, to the world, so the woman should lead it out. So uh, this is uh, like adding shame to sorrow. As Jesus was entering the town, and the Bible says that Jesus was, there was a crowd with Jesus. So probably Jesus' crowd was uh, uh, even larger than the crowd that was coming out of the town. But anyway, uh, they came head on. As one group of people were heading to town, the funeral procession was coming out uh, of the city gate. And, and then Luke made this other observation. It was recorded, his heart, when the Lord saw her, his heart went out to her. Again, you know, how could Luke have seen compassion? I've been thinking about this. Uh, you, you can tell when a person is, uh, is happy or angry. The, the feelings of happiness and anger is, is very noticeable, but compassion is very subtle. How could Luke have noticed the Lord's compassion? And I'm going to speculate a little bit, and I, I want you to, to uh, imagine what could have happened. Jesus was leading a crowd towards Nain, Nain and people were talking and moving and walking briskly, and suddenly, Jesus just stopped. And he stopped talking. And suddenly, everybody like, oh. And, of course, they were observing the Lord. And the Lord was just, just froze. And the Lord just, not looking at the crowd, just looked at the widow. It must have been something about 
the gaze of the Lord are very tender. His thoughts were transfixed, very attentive to the woman's tears. But whatever was Jesus' reactions, it was very noticeable, noticeable enough for Luke to have recorded that the Lord saw her and he recorded the Lord's feelings. In spite of the noise and confusion, it was noticeable. Uh, Well, at this point of time, before I go back to this story, let me uh, tell you what what is the difference between pity and compassion. I I had a chat with my brother, you know, that, that, you know, um, compassion, uh, is there a difference between human compassion and Christian compassion? Well, you say that, well, compassion is compassion. Uh, Pre-believers and believers, we have compassion. It is a feeling like anger and happiness. Uh, But the difference between compassion and Christian compassion is something else, which I'll tell you later. But anyway, uh, this is the difference. Uh, Well, let let me attempt to define compassion. The origin of this word is uh, from Latin. uh, Pati, pati and cum, uh, which together means to bear with, to suffer with. And if you uh, check the dictionary, you will probably get this. Uh, Compassion is the deep awareness of the suffering or the misfortune of another coupled with a desire to relieve it. So this is a a dictionary meaning. So, uh, compassion, I think, is a very uh, common human response. Uh, I, no, I, I want to ask, is compassion a very common human response? Uh, I thought about it. I said, well, actually, I don't think so. Pity is a very common uh, human response. I don't think compassion is common. This is a difference I want to suggest to you, uh, that pity whips, but compassion whips and stays to help. Pity is an emotional response, but compassion is an action response. Pity touches our feelings. Compassion engages our will. Pity observes. Compassion involves. Pity wants to know more about the suffering. Compassion suffers with the sufferer. Um, So, There is a difference. Pity is very common. Compassion is less common. So how do we move uh, from pity to compassion? And again, I want to suggest this to you. Uh, This is uh, what I gather from the passage that we have read earlier. There are three levels of response when uh, something moves us. Okay? Um, first, when we read, we know. Let me explain to you what I mean. Uh, we read about the struggles of the poor. Magazines, we uh, get it from the news, we, uh, we, we, we read it from articles. We read about the struggles of the poor, the neglect of the old, the misery of the sick, the plight of refugees. We read about tragedies. We read about repression. We read about oppression. We read about displacement, corruption, exploitation, 
malnutrition, unemployment, injustice. Do we weep? When we weep? Not necessary. Uh, I think that uh, very often we are just so overwhelmed with the information. Uh, well, it, it's, it's just news. It's just information, news from a distant land. Uh, and we are all so familiar with uh, the reality of uh, human suffering. And uh, we, sometimes we, we feel sorry. You know, recently, remember the article about this young little Japanese girl, just one and a half years old, and then she just wandered away and fell in the pool and she drowned. And then there was a big picture of her on the front page news because she, the parents donated uh, her organs to, uh, you know, her uh, life organs away. And I look at her, she's such a beautiful child and uh, died at uh, one and a half years. Uh, you read this kind of news and you feel, ah, so sayang, so sorry. And then we just move on to other pages and read other news, right? So it's like that. We, we, we understand the reality of human tragedies and this is part of life. Uh, but the feelings of pity is likely to be very fleeting. So we read and we know. But sometimes... Uh, uh, people who come back from mission trips, uh, people who work in the mission field like Sharon, and they come to share with us, and uh, you know, and in mission updates, when we go to CCI mission updates, and the missionaries share with us, and we we listen to the reports on the missioners, we listen and we believe because after the sharing, we say okay, uh, they they call for help, and they, oh yeah sure, I'll sign up, I'll sign up, and I will want to uh, to sponsor a few more kids, and I want to let's do something to send something over because. We listen and we believe. It's a little bit closer because somebody is reporting to us firsthand. So we read and we know. We get the facts. We listen and we believe. But we need to see the feel, which is why we always encourage people to go to the, uh, 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 make mission trips. Actually go to uh, the old folks' home. Go to the orphanages. Go. We are organizing this trip. Go and see. And uh, it is when we see that we feel. Uh, if why? It's, it's because uh, we are always in a hurry, you know. And when we make such a trip, we have to pause. We have to slow down. Uh, we are actually in contact with the sufferers, and uh, there is time for uh, the sights and the sound and the smell to just sink in. So when we see. We feel. A friend of mine has. Uh, I went on a mission trip with her, and she said that she had made already twenty mission trips in just a few years. And uh, of course, this this mission trips about three or four trips per year, and of course they are not cheap. And she said that uh, the reason why uh, she was prepared to pay uh, the money and to spend the time is because uh, in every country she has visited, she has seen with her own eyes. The exploitation of the children, the uh, abuse of the women, uh, the, uh, the malnutrition of the children, uh, the, the lack of parenting among the kids, the prostitution, uh, the forced prostitution of young girls, the social injustice to these girls. I mean, she has really got a heart for the, the young and the women. Uh, and she said, I have to go back, you know, and she has been uh, getting support back home of all the rich Thai Thais that she has, uh, uh, she has connection with, 
to raise money, showing people photographs that she's taken, feeding them with information that she collects, and she keeps on going back to uh, alleviate the suffering because her heart is really for the children and the women. And that's why she goes back. So we read and we know, we listen, we believe, but we must see to view. And, uh, you know, uh, compassion is uh, an emotion frequently attributed to Jesus. Uh, it may interest you to know that about 40 times it is mentioned in the gospel that Jesus looked at people. Uh, Jesus saw. Jesus looked. Jesus gazed. 40 times it's mentioned like that. And it's also interesting that uh, when there is an act of compassion in the gospel, it is always preceded by looking. So in the passage that we just read in Matthew 7, she saw the widow and her heart went out to her. It's always like that. Looking preceded, uh, compassion is preceded by looking in the gospel. So this is how Jesus operated. So let us pay attention uh, to this. uh. So for example, I'll give you another example in Matthew 9.36, which I just put put up here. When he saw the crowd, when Jesus saw the crowd, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. And then in Matthew 14, 14, when Jesus landed and saw the large crowd, he had compassion on them and healed their sick. And there are many other passages like that. He saw and he had compassion. Okay? Now, so I, uh, I, I, I thought about this further. I also see a lot. You know, um, I, I wonder whether it really always worked like that. Well, one day, I was reading the papers, and now this is this was last year's paper, uh, Straits Times, uh, 13th of July, and uh, the headlines is Snatch Thief, Victim's Sister. Uh, well, the victim's sister said, how could passerbys do nothing? Um, and she was interviewed uh, in, uh, by the papers. This, is, uh, this happened in Malaysia, by the way, yeah? uh, in Penang. Uh, what happened is this, uh, the, the, the sister of this uh, snatch thief victim uh, caught passerbys heartless. Everything was captured in CCTV, uh, and there was a footage showing the victim's handbag being snatched by a motorcyclist. But because I'm, I'm, I think this is the way that she carried so when she was snatched, she, she, she was put and she lost her balance and she just fell very badly, I think, head down, and she suffered uh, probably a skull fracture and hemorrhage, and she was just lying. And uh, Madam Tan, uh, Madam Tan is, is the, the victim, was lying unconscious on the road, and the CCTV footage captured seven people walking past her, looking at her and walking past. And finally, three persons stopped uh, lifted her up, helped her to the side of the road, called for an ambulance, and uh, she was brought to the hospital. But unfortunately, because of the, the lapse of time, uh, she died nine hours later uh, because of a head injury. So she was interviewed. Said, How could passers-by do nothing? Uh, I thought about it, and I, 
uh, I asked a group of friends, uh, you know, how likely uh, are we to stop when we uh, see this woman, uh, if it were uh, in Singapore, that this thing happened? I'm very, very ashamed to tell you this, okay, that I do notice uh, people lying uh, in the streets of Chinatown. Uh, this is where I work. And uh, I always assume that they are drunk and they are not dead. That's why I just look at them and I, I do walk past people lying in the streets. Uh, and I felt, uh, yeah, I felt very convicted, you know, that, that this is how I, I behave. Uh, recently, the Lord tested me two more times. Um, you know, there is looking and there is looking. There is, there is a particular way we must look. We can look and see a problem or we can look and see a person. Uh, uh, in, in early June, I was on my way to my auntie's house. She invited me to, to just uh, collect something from her and I went off to work, so it was rather late. Uh, so it was, uh, when I lighted from the bus, I had to cross Bukit, uh, John Bukit Mera, and there were a lot of people with me. Uh, we were waiting for the green man, and we could see from across the road that there was a man, an elderly man, uh, in, sitting on a wheelchair. And she was, he was pushing himself, but very slow. She was, probably because she was so old and weak, and she, she was make, he was making very slow progress. I was wondering, my goodness, where is she going? Where is she going to get home? At this pace, we were all waiting. And when the green man turned on, all of us crossed the road. I tell you, me and everybody just walked past her, uh, him. And I had to walk across this road, Jana Bukit Merah, and I had to cross Kim Tian Road. So I crossed two times. And then I looked back once, and she was still pushing himself. And I thought, should I go back to help him? Then I... I was walking, you know, uh, briskly, and I, I looked back. Should I? I wonder where he's going. I wonder whether he's on the way, uh, whether I could help. And I said, that well, cannot lie. I, and I looked back a third time, and then uh, there was a young couple who stopped, stopped, stooped, and just chatted with him. And then they just pushed him. I said, could that be me? I shouldn't even have crossed Kim Tian Road. I should have just said, Uncle, uh, uh, and I, even if I would say, oh, uh, he wants to go to Tiong Baru Plaza, which is, can I just push you half the way? <laughs> you know, you know, you don't mind. I mean, I could have done something, but I was in a hurry. You see, now there is a way of looking, and this guy, I look and there was a problem, or I can look and, hey, this is a person. I think he needs help. Anyway, that was early June. Uh, in early July, uh, I was on the way to prayer meeting. Uh, I was a little bit earlier, maybe uh, prayer meeting starts at 8. I was probably uh, in a Pasir Panjang MRT station at about uh, 7.20, 7.25. I thought, okay, I'm not feeling so well. I better have something to eat, porridge or whatever. I got out of the MRT station. Of course, many people got out. And we were walking out and we saw two blind men. I'm sure everybody saw this because they had their white cane 
and uh, one blind man was leading the other blind because the other was just put on the shoulder and it was like that and then like that, like that and they were walking very, very slowly and there were steps and all that. So, uh, you know, I don't have very much time to eat and I want to be on time for prayer meeting. So I walked past him and then I looked back. I was walking very briskly, so I was quite far and I looked back. They were still feeling around and then they were heading to nowhere because beyond, you know, she was obviously that. And I look back a second time and say, should I go back? Should I go back? And then when I look back a third time, uh, a young lady approached quickly, went to them and spoke to him like, "Uh, where are you going? So I said, oh, good. Someone is helping him. So I quickly went to order my food and then this person was being led to sit next to me. (laughs) You know, the guilt... Could I enjoy my dinner? Now, these this two, this two things really, really had a deep impression. I, I remember the day it happened, and I remember everything I saw. There is a way of looking when you see a problem, and there is a way of looking when you look at the person. And, uh, you know, I've, I've replayed the, the parable of the Good Samaritan many, many times, you know, uh, we, we talk about it, we study it. It's just a story, you know. And uh, the Samaritan, the Levite, and the priest, they saw the same thing. They saw a very severely wounded man in the ditch. And the priest and the Levite uh, walked past him because I think they saw a problem. Uh, they were in a hurry. They don't know what kind of person this is. And... Uh, they saw that they saw the risk, they saw the inconvenience, uh, they saw the cause, uh, they saw the commitment, and said that ah, really, uh, this is not really a good day for me to intervene. This is not a good day, and they passed him. Uh, but it was a Samaritan woman, a uh, man who looked at the man, wounded man in the ditch, and he saw a person. Uh, and he stopped. Let's return to um, let's return to Luke chapter seven. You know, everybody saw what Jesus saw that day. Uh, they saw the widow's tears. Everybody understood the widow's plight. Um, but let's learn something about. Uh, how to love. Jesus showed us how to love in this story. Uh, Before he helped the woman, he looked and he felt. Um, Sorry. Jesus focused on on this person. He walked towards her. Uh, I mean, really a very clear intention of wanting to be involved, spoke to her, uh, uh, wanting to carry and support her feelings. Woman, don't cry. Uh, he could have just walked to uh, you know, the casket and just do something, wave and just talk and then heal and move on. But uh, he, he wanted to support the woman's feelings and to be with her. 
In fact, Jesus interrupted the proceedings, the, the pro- procession. Uh, and I think that what Jesus did was this. When he looked at her intently, tenderly, he deliberately entered into her world and felt her anguish. And that uh, was really the motivation for her to perform the miracle. Uh, I, I want you to know this, right? Um, in case you didn't uh, notice, this woman was too distraught uh, to do anything. She didn't ask for a miracle. She didn't throw herself at Jesus' feet. She didn't demonstrate great faith. In fact, she demonstrated no faith at all. She was just crying. The miracle was done without human request, without human prompting. Nobody asked Jesus, Jesus, can you do something for her? Nobody. And she didn't also uh, come to Jesus for, for, for that miracle. Jesus stepped into her world and it was entirely of the Lord's initiative. Now, I, I want to um, share with you what, uh, why very often I'm, I'm reluctant to be involved. I've been thinking about uh, my own conduct, my own attitude, and I think that uh, my lack of involvement is because of my attitude. I think that judging blocks compassion. Uh, let me tell you what I mean, okay? Uh, very often, uh, when people come to us with a problem, we are very quick to size up the situation, to evaluate the, the person with the problem. You know, for example, I'll give you an example. Uh, when the disciples saw a blind man, uh, John chapter 9, uh, verse 1 to 7, take it, take it down, you can read it at home. John chapter 9, verse 7. And again, uh, the Bible recorded that Jesus walked and he saw a blind man. So it must have been that John, it was very noticeable. People were just walking, walking, and then Jesus stopped and Jesus just looked. And he stopped talking and he looked and everybody, uh, oh. then they were very awkward. So they, they instinctively attempted to categorize this, this, this blind man. So they asked Jesus, uh, since you are looking at a blind man, can we ask you a question? Uh, Jesus, who sinned? Uh? Uh, this man or his parents that he was born blind? You see, they saw a problem and they were, they were categorizing him, sizing him up. We, we assess people. We evaluate people. Uh, we see people as strong, weak, cool or strange and effective, messed up. They are burdened and unwise or whatever. Uh, and, and we categorize people as lazy. The family is very dysfunctional. They are very demanding. The attitude problem. Uh, and uh, we, we make up our minds about people. And then we relate to them as we have evaluated them. Uh, so it is it's very easy to judge people. And, and when we judge people, when we categorize people... Uh, as, as deserving, undeserving of our help. Compassion is immediately blocked uh, because we, we distance ourselves. 
right, from, from the, the person who could be helped by us. Let me give you an example. This is, this is a very personal example, and I cannot mention the name. There is a, a person, a friend of mine, who um, has been in trouble for about a decade already, okay? Um, constantly unemployed, uh, couldn't hold a job. So uh, she used up all uh, her savings, uh, and she became very, very needy. So uh, I'm not the only person uh, who has have stepped in to help her many, many times, but others too. But I, I don't like it when she calls me so often. And so sometimes I don't take her calls. Um, sometimes I'm, I just, I'm, I'm just very brief, you know, and I just I, I want to, I, sorry, I really need to get back to my work, you know, and um, I got, don't have time. And, and that, that kind of response, I thought that she was becoming uh, a bit of a burden and... In fact, I say it's so inconsiderate to call me so often and uh, disturbing me at work time. Now, um, uh, one day, I went to visit this person and I, I saw that her house is in a terrible mess. I mean, it was filthy. I visited her many times before. It was not like that before. And I know that a filthy home is a sign that... Uh, uh, Emotionally and mentally, she was, um, she was really not, she was very disturbed. And, and so she couldn't take care of herself. So it was very filthy. I think uh, some of the other friends noticed it too. And I'm very glad that this other group of friends helped her to really clean up the house. Uh, and uh, threw away some stuff, gave her some stuff. When I visited her again, I said, oh, uh, who gave you this? And she made, oh, so-and-so gave me this. And what about this? Oh, so-and-so gave me this. And then so-and-so helped me to fix this because I couldn't use it anymore. I was so glad, you know. And I really felt for her. There was once when um, I didn't know that he, she had sunk into uh, the, the depths. She said, I must see you. And I said, oh, I, I can't. I, I really have some group meeting. I can't see you, but I'm on the way. So, all right, you know. So she came and she, uh, she said that, well, um, you've you got to help me with this problem. And she showed me a letter, and I, I read for her, and uh, a legal problem, and she was consulting me what to do about it. And then she said that I had to use my old Singapore notes. You know, uh, this is now the President series, and there was a sheep series and there were the orchid series. And she had some of these old notes that she kept for many years. And she had gone um, downstairs to the shop proprietors to ask them whether they would, they would use, they would buy those. And the shop proprietors took advantage of her. That Sure, $2 for two. I take the sheep series and I give you the presents two for two. I mean, in other words... If you want, you just spend the money. We're not giving extra for it. It's of course not true. Uh, the old series notes uh, have a premium. And I say, give them to me. Just tell me what you want for it. I'll just pay. And I, I took whatever she had and I just gave her the extra. You need money, spend it. And I was, I was really moved. How can a person be in that state of desperation that she had nothing left and she had to open her little treasure box and to use up even this, this bit of thing that she, she treasured so much you know, over the years. And I decided that, okay, I'll, I'll help her weekly. Um, giving her, I'll give her something every week so that she has something to live on. And then um, 
some other help came and then finally she, financially she is slightly better. Uh, you know, I, I'm sharing this story with you because I feel that uh, there is a way of looking and see a problem. In the past, I evaluated her problem set. You are in this mess because you have made some wrong choices in life. You, we are always dishing out advice, right? You should. Why don't you do this? Have you done that? Huh? Don't do this and that. And we are always giving her advice. But I thought, no advice. She needs help now. I'll meet the need now. And advice can come later. And I remembered a story that my sister told me. A relative of mine was in the dumps. You know, he has been, again, right, poor choices. And nobody wants to help him anymore. In fact, we wanted to avoid him, except for my sister Jennifer. Uh, we learned about it, and we asked her, why are you helping this man? Do you know that you could be taken advantage of and you will never get your money back? She said, that I am fully prepared for it. And uh, this is my... I want, to, I want to make sure that the bridge is not burned because I'm reaching out to him he needs my help and I am fully prepared to be taken advantage of and never see my money again. And you, I, I remember this, the words of my sister. Uh, I, it's not about sizing people up and evaluating and analysing the, the problem and categorising them to see whether she's deserving and not deserving, whether she should receive help or not. But if there is a need and you can meet it and she is right in front of you, uh, the Lord just bring it, this person to you and you feel the prompting, just do it. And we will deal with the other problems later, but just meet the need. And, and Jesus didn't go there and say that, you know, woman, just repent, alright, of your sins and don't make sure it don't happen again. And then she healed the son. Nothing like that. Woman, don't cry. Went to the coffin, healed her, healed the man, that was it. Meeting a need then because it was urgent. Now, I, I can't talk about compassion without talking about Mother Teresa because as a woman, I, I read a lot of her writings and, uh, you know, Mother Teresa uh, uh, gave her life uh, to take care of the unwanted uh, and, and she wanted to care for the poorest of the poor. Um, and she said that I want to... Uh, I want to remember uh, something that society has forgotten, people. And she said that, uh, well, she would go to the gutters and all that to pick up people, right? And she said that these, uh, these are the segment of humanity that has been thrown away. And um, she, she would begin her day with prayer, with the spending time with the Lord, and then she would uh, go out to the streets to meet Christ in people. Um, and many people have criticized her work. Her primary goal is not actually to better the lot of the poor. Her goal is not even to alleviate the suffering of the sick. Her goal is to recover the image of God in people. And her primary tool for doing that is compassion and love. And so I just uh, show you 
this. I, I won't read everything, and uh, just, just part of it. She said, the pure heart can see Christ in the hungry, in the naked, in the homeless, in the lonely, in the unwanted, in the unloved, in the leper, in the alcoholic, in, in the man lying in the street, the unwanted, the unloved, the uncared for, the hungry. He is not hungry for, uh, for the lack of a piece of bread. He's hungry for love. He's not naked just for a lack of a piece of cloth. He's naked because he has been stripped of human dignity. He's not homeless just because he lacks a small house to live in. His homelessness comes from being abandoned by all. He's forgotten the meaning of human love, human joy, human touch. We need pure eyes to see him in the distressing disguise of the poor, the suffering, the unwanted, the unloved, those those people society has discarded as useless. They are Jesus. If you want to see the poor, if you want the poor to see Christ in us, we must first see Christ in them. You know how this is, she can talk like that. I think it's because uh, she has entered the world of the poor. So instead of just like, here, food, clothes, distribute, you know, just to just get it and done with, meet needs and distribute and everything, she actually entered their world and she can say that, no, 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 of course this is good, but they are not just hungry here, they are hungry for love. They don't just need a piece of clothing, they are naked because they are stripped of human dignity. She can talk like that because there is a way of seeing. This way of seeing uh, prompts her, compels her to enter their world. And this is compassion. And is her theology correct? Of course, it's right. Because Jesus said this, isn't it? Jesus the King will say, when I was hungry, you gave me something to eat. When I was thirsty, you gave me something to drink. And when I was a stranger, you invited me. When I was in prison, you visited me. And Jesus said that, well, I tell you, when, wherever you did it for the least of these brothers of mine, you did it for me. And she literally lived these words. She believed uh, that the Christ can be seen in people. Now, I know that compassion is very difficult. Again, I asked my brother, um, <coughs> Just, just a minute. I asked my brother because they have uh, 15 years of doing <coughs> community work in Algang, uh, whether uh, the work is easier after 15 years. Actually, he said that it's not easier. And the reason why it is not easier is because people are busy, Edwin. People are busy. And I have to always uh, fuel, the fuel of love, fuel of compassion, to tell stories and to give pictures and to, to tell testimonies and get them to go out there to see. I have to spark it. It, it has to be continually learned and we learn and be reminded because people are busy. And when we are busy, like in both instances when I was in a hurry, uh, we don't pause, look, let alone feel. And 
I want to suggest this to you, that because it is so difficult to learn and practice compassion, it has to be done as a community, and unless you are really quite super like Mother Teresa. And uh, the basis is this, in Acts chapter 4, the early church uh, did this. Uh, the believers were of one heart and mind, and, and no one claimed that any of their possession was their own, but they shared everything they had. And with great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and God gave, God's grace was powerfully at work in them all, that there was no needy person among them. For from time to time, those who owned land or houses sold them, and they brought the money from the sales, and they put them at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to everyone who had need. Uh, we, must, we must do this as a church. Compassion is learned in the community, and it is practiced together. Let me tell you this story. Some of you watched uh, Renovate recently, and uh, a resident of Teban Garden was featured, uh, the, the story of my, uh, Mary Yong. Now, it really touched me because not only did I watch uh, the two episodes, I had, a, I had a long chat with Rosalyn because there was a lot in the, uh, in the background, the background information which you don't know. Uh, this lady, Mary Yong, uh, is very disadvantaged and uh, truly very poor. Probably one of the, the, the needier families. You see, what happened is this her husband met with an accident and was incapacitated and could not continue working. Uh, her daughter in law, she has one son living with her, a grown up son in the 30s. Uh, the daughter in law abandoned the husband and the two children. And uh, this son then became very uh, depressed and I think she just uh, became very depressed and uh, just lost hope you know? so she, he was not responsible uh, not sensible and, and no longer looking after himself like even urinating on his own bed and, and things like that he was just, he was just not himself anymore uh, he worked as a cleaner uh, not bringing money home so Mary Young had then got to look after two, these two little kids and her husband and the son who was not bringing money, who was not bringing money back. And she was managing how? By, uh, uh, by accepting a tenant in the other room. So it's a three-room flat. Everybody lives in one room and they, uh, they have a tenant. Of course, it's not sufficient, okay? From the rent to support the whole family. Uh, and she would often go to the center uh, to ask for advice, to ask for help, because she needs emotional support. She, she needs someone to talk to and to ask for help. And so from time to time, uh, Rosalind would be helping her, giving her advice. And uh, Rosalind visited the home and realized that it was really very, very filthy. The door couldn't be closed and, and that was not working and it's filthy. It was a mess. Again, it's, it's because people are not coping that they cannot tidy up even their homes. And there was a stench because, uh, you know, somebody is urinating in the, even in the bed. And the adult is urinating in the bed. Uh, uh, she brought her two uh, grandchildren to the center for tuition. But 
uh, immediately the tutor uh, noticed that uh, the younger one couldn't make it. You know, uh, he needs special attention, and it was brought to Rosalind's attention, who then caught a church sister, uh, and she wants to be, uh, remain anonymous. She, we, we, uh, we spoke to this sister in church, and she said that, um, "Can you help this boy?" She said yes. The arrangement was this: one to one, once a week. Her initial assessment was this: cannot be once a week. He is far too behind uh, to be to be receiving help just once a week. So it became twice a week. It was still insufficient time. It became three times a week, one to one. And eventually, it was every day, five times a week, just one to one. And this is done by a church sister in our midst. I heard this story and I was very touched. And I, um, I asked her to share this story with us. And so now I will read this story. Uh, the boy's name, I've changed the boy's name and uh, I'll just call him Matthew. From the day I agreed to help uh, to tutor Matthew, my husband and I embarked uh, on our prayer journey with Michael, uh, with uh, Matthew. Someone whom we have not met but whom we know is a creation of God. For a period we lifted Matthew to the Lord daily uh, for who knows best uh, how to, uh, to, to help him except our Creator? And we know too that all things are possible with him and through him according to his plan. When I first met Matthew in February of this year, he appeared quiet and didn't make much eye contact. As we interacted, uh, although he began to pick up words, he was still not making much eye contact and remained very reserved. One month on, during the March school holidays, I arranged to meet Matthew every day as I wanted to ensure that he would not forget all that had been taught so far. That week, we spent more hours at the CSC, half of which was spent uh, learning English, the English language. The other half was in the area of personal development, for example, having lunch with him, to impart good eating etiquettes, conversing with him, playing simple games with the hope of increasing his vocabulary and spoken English. Every tuition session is all-encompassing. Matthew is taught not only the English language, but he also gets to learn the important life lesson. And with God's grace and mercy, Matthew is now able to recognize and understand more words. It's making eye contact when spoken to and has more self-confidence. Now this uh, tuition session is challenging uh, as Matthew doesn't like studying. To get to where he is now is truly God's grace and mercy. With pati my patience is often tested. At every lesson, there are many moments he simply refuses to learn. He just sits there on the table, kick the table, drop his slippers, interrupt me whenever I try to get him to read. My creativity is often challenged too as I have to try to think of ways to interest him to study. The journey with Michael will continue to be a challenge and will continue and we will continue to pray that the Lord will transform him to be something beautiful in his name. I, now this is volunteer work. This is everyday work. This is just what Rosalind cannot handle because the family problem is too large and 
she submitted to this sister and said, Sister, can you help him while I work with this family? And, and, and this, is, this is how compassion works. It's too much. But I'll do this. You do that. You visit him on this day. I'll see what I can do. And then we work together. And sometimes it has to be like that because sometimes when the problem is too big, we are paralyzed and we do nothing. Uh, and so I asked Roslyn what has uh, been done for the family. He said, well, uh, uh, when renovate, uh, they were asking for, you know, um, whether there were families in Teban Garden whom they could help, you know, because they want to feature a family and to bless a family. Uh, Roslyn submitted this family's name, brought the people there to, uh, to look at the house, uh, uh, persuaded uh, Mary about, uh, you know, that everything would be taken care of, uh, uh, with, with just stayed with her at every interview. Um, uh, when the ID was there, Rossi will, be, will sit with her, giving her suggestion at every time. And uh, of course, uh, when the renovation is ongoing, the family got to move out, and that's your problem. You can stay in the hotel, you can stay with a relative, but there's no way she, she could find someone who house her. So uh, then uh, Rosalind arranged with uh, Taiwa to get Taiwa to uh, allow this family to use the place and make all the arrangements for her. And then when the television was not working, uh, Rosalind prayed about it. And then God, I want, she promised uh, Mary, just throw this away. I'll get you a new television. But how? In, after the prayer, someone just called, hey, Rosalind, I've got, uh, I don't know whether anybody needs a television now. I want to give away. He said, God, it was so good. You heard my prayer. Here is a, here is a television and, and uh, everything was arranged. Uh, a new television, a new refrigerator, someone donated a new laptop and someone would give a bed. And you see, we do our bed and God do so much more. You know? And this is how God wants us to, to love people into the kingdom of God. And I understand that uh, Mary Young is still going to the center very regularly because he would call Ross in all the time, ask for advice and Recently, they were at the friend's dinner. And something else more wonderful happened. The son was so touched by our love that the son turned up at the friend's lunch. Um, and uh, there is another story. Uh, this is also from, uh, from Xiao Ling and uh, Roslyn. Uh, there was this family, uh, well, this woman who was... Um, she had a stroke uh, rather young in her life, early 40s, I think, because she's still in her 40s. And uh, she, she became uh, wheelchair-bound. Um, and uh, she would visit the center very often for those dinners and, you know, uh, she, she, so few things that she couldn't, she couldn't work anymore. And she had always expressed interest to join us on one of these trips that the CSC organized. Uh, she had been turned down several times because it's just inconvenient to bring a handicapped person on one of these trips. So one day, um, there was, uh, she knew about a trip that was going to be organized to Malaysia, and she once again said, that, I have my passport, I want to register. I said, sorry, yeah, we cannot, we can't cope. And, and you know, Seoling and Rosalind uh, told me that they could tell from her face that she was so downcasted, so disappointed, that disappointed again. And so she went back. And they were moved. You know, they talked about it and said, that, ah, what can we do? Should we allow her? So they called the travel agency and said, well, we have a handicapped person, Malaysia, 
how many times must, must a woman move up and down? You know, about 20 times, you know, because custom, Singapore side, that side, you know, Malaysia side, then uh, uh, the first place and then the second place and 20 times. Can we do it? Do we have enough help? And then they said, okay, we'll do it. We call her back. So she came back and said, um, sister, we, we decided we will, we will bring you along for the Malaysian trip. She said that they saw her when she heard the news. She just cried. She just cried. And, you know, this is her dream. That's what she wants so much. And finally, you understand uh, that I really, really want it so much and you're fulfilling my dreams. Stepping into the world of someone. Oh, it's risky, very inconvenient. Commitment, cost, yes. But for once, you know, uh, compassion requires us to take a step from pity and, and move into someone's world. Not, not just looking, but a certain way of looking into someone's world. Don't evaluate, don't give a suggestion and, and advise and, and categorize her. Just, just meet that need first. Support her feeling. Help her understand how, that you understand how she feels and that she is not alone in this struggle and, and this pain. And so I, I want to suggest this. Um, I want to give you a quote uh, from uh, the president of Compassion International. Oh, I just shared this story. Okay. Uh, family with many needs, but there are many people to meet different needs. That's how we should do it. Now, uh, Dr. West uh, Stafford said, I agree that the magnitude of the problem of poverty can easily lead us to despair. We believers often do nothing for one reason. We don't know what to do. And I suggest to you that we must not be overwhelmed by the magnitude of the problem and you must not think that you are the only one to meet this problem. And... Uh, if it is too big, you must share it with a few friends and you must get ideas and you must get someone who feels like you to work with you. And this is how Mother Teresa put it. I never, Mother Teresa said, I never look at the masses as my responsibility. I look at the individual. I can only love one person at a time. I can feed only one person at a time. And Jesus said, whatever you do to the least of my brethren, you do to me. So I begin. I begin. I pick up one person. Maybe if I didn't pick up one person, I wouldn't have picked up 42,000. So let us not be satisfied. Uh, let us not be satisfied with just giving money. Money is not enough. For money one can get, the poor need our hands to serve them. They need our hearts to love them. The religion of Christ is love. Never look at the masses as our responsibility. And, um, you know, there are, there are lonely people in society. And I tell you, there are lonely people in this church. There are poor and the marginalized. There are the poor and marginalized in society. I can tell you that there are poor people in this church. 
and there are people who are prejudiced in society. I tell you, there are people who feel very prejudiced. They are feel very ashamed in this church. And they quietly walk in, they quickly want to leave because they don't feel the love in this church. I want you to step, if you notice such people, if you know there could be people like this, can you uh, not look at your, your own needs? Can I invite you, if the Lord impresses upon you uh, that there is a person like this in this church, can you stop, look? Can you look with your feelings? Can you enter their world and try to imagine what is it like to be in his shoes? And then you pray with someone, how can we do something about it? Um, you know, I want you to look to Jesus as your model for compassion. And uh, I would uh, summarize like this. Pause for people. Look at people. Listen to people. If you don't listen, how do you know what they are going through? How do you know how they feel? Seek to understand what they are going through enter their world and try to feel how they feel. Now, it doesn't mean that we do not then uh, give them advice and help them to solve the problem in a more a holistic way. Yes, there will be a time when this is absolutely necessary for their good. Uh, we want to help them get out of the, the predicament that they are in. But sometimes it's just, we are just required to act uh, to meet a need now. Uh, The thing that blocks compassion is judgment. Don't be too quick uh, to judge because when we feel morally uh, superior, when we feel intellectually superior, uh, when we feel better than other people, uh, there is less love. And uh, I want to also uh, help you to, I, I want you to th think about this. Uh, actually, all of us don't have everything together, okay? There are many, many times when we need the compassion of the Lord too, right? Uh, Galatians 3, 22, 23. Uh, His compassion does not fail. They are new every morning. I, I pray so many times, God, have mercy on me. God, have compassion on me. Um, and it is only when we recognize that we have our uh, weaknesses, that we are also very messy. Our life is messy in our own ways, only that we don't share very openly. Uh, and that the Lord uh, has, has shown us compassion, unless we see our own weakness, we will not empathize with others and share their pain. And that's why uh, Alcoholic Anonymous is so powerful because all the recovering alcoholics said, I understand you, brother. Don't worry. We are, I, we are recovering too. It's all right. This recovering alcoholic can enter into the world of a struggling alcoholic uh, a divorce support group, the divorced woman can enter the world of, of someone who is recently divorced. A person who is uh, uh, recently widowed can, is in a support group because they enter the world of, of the recently widowed group. Empathize. I know how you feel. I'm, I've been there. Enter their world. And this is uh, my last slide. Yeah. This is 
God expects us to be compassionate, not just to, to, be, uh, to, to show pity. Be kind. It's a command. Be kind and compassionate to one another. You must forgive one another just as Christ has forgiven you. 1 Peter 3, 8, Finally, all of you, be like-minded. Be sympathetic. Love one another. Be compassionate and humble. Colossians 3, 12, Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourself with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience. You see, Look at the words associated, they group together with compassion. You cannot be compassionate unless you are kind, gentle, patient, sympathetic, loving, forgiving, you know, not judging, not smart, not clever in giving advice and solving problems and just giving money. It's not. Patience, humility, be kind then compassion will flow because then we can step into the world of our friends. So this is really my message. Simple, but I hope that the Lord will do something in our hearts today and we need to pray. We need to pray now because compassion must be learned. You know, as I read a a very funny story, this author said that she will, the place where she's always very agitated and very mangzang is in in the airport. You know, because she travels a lot. So she said, I want to learn compassion. I will learn compassion in the airport. So she, will, she said that she will make weekly trips to the airport to just look at people and then she will go and help people. Help those who are needy, helping to carry and all that. And she said, I need it. I need to slow down. I need to be patient and I will learn compassion at the airport. Like that, we need to learn compassion and may God help us. I ask the musicians to come forward uh, as we prepare our hearts for response. Okay, pure heart, this is what I long for. Again, the words of Mother Teresa. The pure heart can see Christ in the hungry. The pure heart can see Christ in the naked. The pure heart can see Christ in the homeless, in the lonely, in the unwanted, in the unloved, in the man lying in the street. A pure heart can see. And a pure heart is what I long for. Yo 
your word so that sins will not come in a heart that's not divided but one to rule and reign a heart that feeds compassion that pleases you my Lord a sweet aroma of worship rises of what is happening around us. God, do a work in us as we step out of ourselves into the world of other people. Help us to see. And God, when we feel the nudge of compassion from the Holy Spirit, give us the love and the courage to respond. God, when you bring when you bring people to our paths, help us to recognize that they are divine appointments. And God, if we if we can avail ourselves, then let let us be loving channels of your compassion. And may the love, may the love we give others return to us as your grace. We pray for PPH. The work in and the CSC must grow and our, the level of our participation can, can be bigger and better. Build this church into a center of kindness. Let mercy and compassion shine. Give us the grace to make everyone who comes, we come in contact with, go away feeling better, happier. we want to live in your light of your love Father we want to draw from the well of your compassion 
use us as channels of compassion so that people can see Christ. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Change my heart, O oh Lord. Let's close with the same. Change my heart, O oh God. Make it ever true. Uh, the Lord has deposited in your heart and after a time of prayer you can leave